is David Suisa. Welcome to my podcast. What do you do if you're a poor person and your landlord wants to take advantage of you or your employer wants to take advantage of you and you have no one to, um, no one to help you? There's an organization called Betzedek, whose tagline is Justice for All, and today I'm delighted to have the leader of that organization, Jesse Kornberg. Jesse, it's so great to have you. Thank you, David. And Jesse became the first woman appointed CEO of Betzedek, which means the House of Justice. She's actually right in our building, so it's very convenient. And I have to confess, before we start this conversation, that this is going to be one of those rare podcasts where I'm not going to be challenging her too much, because it's just a cause that makes my heart melt. <laughs> and I, I, I tried. I've researched your organization. I said, I wish I can ask her some real tough questions and put her on the spot. So uh, forgive me, Jesse. I'm not going to be able to put you on the spot today. Well, we'll have to muddle through. Yeah, we'll muddle through. Uh, I mean, the word justice is one of those words that has a shining light in the Jewish tradition. And it's the word that you live by when I get on your website. And it's just over and over and over again, this sense of justice uh, give us an example of some of the cases that you encounter. Absolutely. So we're known in the community, um, first and foremost, for our work with older and disabled adults. Um, so a case from earlier this year um, is a tough one, but an important one to share, I think. We had uh, an elderly uh, man who was homeless. He was referred to us from a homeless shelter. Um, he had been a working professional most of his life, um, but had a disability, a mental health diagnosis, um, that with medication he was able to control and uh, remain independent and high-functioning. Um, but in the economic collapse in 2008, 2009, uh, the bank where he was a manager uh, ended up downsizing and letting him go. He fell into depression, stopped taking his medication, uh, lost his home in a foreclosure sale. The foreclosure sale was misreported to the Internal Revenue Service, who assessed him a $200,000 tax lien as a result of the sale. Uh, the tax lien was uh, imposed upon his uh, disability benefits so that the only income he had left was now subject to garnishment and he could no longer afford rent and that's when he moved onto the street. How did he hear about you? He spent two years on the street before he finally uh, got a bed at a homeless shelter and it was the shelter provider who let him know that there was uh, the potential for legal intervention and came to us because, among many other programs, Betzedek has L.A. County's first low-income tax clinic. And we were pretty quickly able to look at his information and realize that the foreclosure sale had been erroneously reported as income to him um, instead of to the bank, and that he had been erroneously assessed this tax judgment, and that his... Uh, Social Security disability benefits should not have been subject to garnishment, 
and we could restore his full benefits and give him the kind of steady income you need Amazing. to afford housing in this city. I mean, you know what I find fascinating, Jesse, is if you look at the media, the national conversation today, um, so much of it is dominated by politicians making promises from wherever, from the left and from the right, and you have, you know, national politicians, regional politicians, and it's always making promises, and then we make demonstrations asking of the government to do more, asking of Washington to do more, asking Sacramento to do more, and then I bump into an organization like yours that started by a few Jews, you know, 44 years ago, right? It had nothing to do with the government. And, and it turns out that there's probably hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of organizations like yours. And that gets lost in the media coverage that this space that I call between the individual and government, this space where you live, that does so much to improve our society. Well, I appreciate the faith that you have in us. Because um, it's true. The reality it's a is... This, you were not started by Washington, D.C. That's true. Certainly. Um, and we are, I think, unusual among direct service providers that work with um, the extremely poor, as we do, in that we are um, largely supported by private philanthropy. Um, we are... I know from your big annual dinner. <laughs> <laughs> We're really... The Justice Ball, right? We have a, a summer fundraiser called the Justice Ball, which is for young professionals, and then our annual gala dinner, which provides crucial support. And... Um, I do think that we are unusually well-situated because of our roots in the Jewish community uh, to benefit from the incredible philanthropy that so many Jewish community members engage I mean, in. From what I see here, you lead a staff of about 60, right? And yeah. about 2,400 pro bono volunteers? We are. So this is the magic sauce, right? It, the original idea of Betzedek, uh was an all-volunteer group. Uh, and it was only after a couple of years of operating all volunteer operations that they could raise enough money to hire their first staff attorney. Um, but we never lost that first inspirational ingredient of volunteer lawyers. And so we could not possibly serve the 50,000 people we will aim to serve this year with our 60, 70 people on staff. It's only because of volunteers from the legal community and the Jewish community that we can hope to reach the number of people we want to. And so we're very lucky in that way. Uh, Jesse, you know, I don't know you that well, but you strike me as somebody with a very, very big heart. <laughs> Thank and, you. And, you know, you run this big staff. Uh, but I'm sure you come into contact with, you know, these personal stories. Do you ever have these moments when there's somebody you cannot help and it really hurts you? Give us an example of that. Well, it's incredibly hard to have to say no to someone in need. Um, and unfortunately, we do it more than we want to. Um, the numbers are harsh. There are 8,000 eligible legal aid clients in Los Angeles for every one legal aid attorney currently in Los Angeles. So the numbers are against us. When you say a legal aid attorney, mm -hmm. is that something that the court provides? So I just mean there's a community of legal aid providers, and, and we are the people who provide legal services for free. Mm. And in order to qualify for that service, um, you typically have to be uh, at or below the federal poverty line. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what those statistics refer to, the okay. number of people who are in that economic 
um, situation and, and could benefit from legal intervention. So the numbers are against us, and we have to say no a lot. We say no for a bunch of different reasons. We could say no because someone is just above the poverty line. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they can afford a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it means that they don't qualify for legal aid on the scarce resources we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to, too much of the time, save our scarce resources for those in most desperate shape. Right. And so we have to say no sometimes to people who aren't any better able to afford a lawyer because they are making $15,000 a year instead of the $10,000 a year that would qualify them for legal aid. Um, but, but we can't help them either. It's a similar syndrome with health care. Yeah. Sometimes if you fall below a certain line, you have much uh, better, uh, better service. And then there are other reasons we say no. It could be that their situation presents an area of law in which we have no expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, we focus on the issues of poverty law that come up most frequently. So housing, access to stable public benefits, um, caregiving solutions for people with disabilities, mm-hmm. and for children who've lost their custodial parents. Um, Has your demand gone up since in the Trump era with that whole thing, you know, all that craziness at the border? There are all kinds of new needs in this new era. Like what? Um, The certainly changing policy around immigration Mm -hmm. is destabilizing. Um, We live in a city where 40 percent of us are either immigrants or the children of immigrants. And there are all kinds of new realities for those clients. one, How did they hear about you? Well, there are so many ways to hear about us. We're out in the community meeting clients and doing intake at 120 intake sites around L.A. County. Mm-hmm. Food pantries, homeless shelters, courthouses, you name it. But we've also been around a while, as you say. Um, we've been out in the community meeting people where they need us most for 45 years. Yeah. And so the word is out, and all um, kinds of places know about us. And one thing I didn't know about my job before I got it, but is, I don't know, the greatest blessing of it maybe, um, is that it doesn't matter what room I walk into in Los Angeles. It could be a room of donors. It could be a room of parents. It could be a church in South L.A. or a food pantry in Boyle Heights. If I come in and I say I'm from Betsetic, it doesn't even matter if I'm speaking to non-English speakers, much less non-Hebrew speakers. When I say I'm from Betsetic, there's you hear in the room this collective sigh of appreciation. Oh, Betsetic. Yeah, and that is an incredible thing. Well, it's thanks to all those great ads you did in the Jewish Journal. <laughs> That's primarily why you have this amazing brand. So I'm, is this the best job you've ever had? I mean, you know, you were named one of the super lawyers uh, of Southern California, one of the rising stars 2017. You were a leader as a trial attorney at a major firm doing litigation. You've been involved with nonprofit management for so long, and you've had some very important positions. Is this... Is this the one that moves your heart the most? Yeah, this is e- easy for me. I've um, had so many opportunities to grow in this job. It's been a professional stretch and a new opportunity in that way. So that's an incredible thing. But as you say, more than that, the opportunity to work with my staff in service of our clients in support of this mission couldn't possibly What's be the more toughest rewarding. Part? What's the toughest part of your job? Well, as you say, saying no mm-hmm. um, to people who need you. Is the toughest. Mm -hmm. Um, And as an employer, and you're in this position, so you can relate to this, 
you want to say yes to everything your staff wants too. Um, but we, as I say, live in the reality of scarce resources. And so sometimes you have to make hard choices. And then you have, you, you help, most of the people you help are not Jewish. Yeah. They're like Hispanic and, you know. We don't ask Asian anybody their religion. But you know, they're, like, they, <laughs> yeah. they're just, you know, I see them because you're in our building. Yeah. Um, and I, I'd always wondered, you know, if they, they're seeing these Hebrew words, bet tzedek, <laughs> does it ever come up in conversations? Do they, uh, do they know that this is an organization that was started by Jews? You know, it's, um, it's an interesting conversation. I have donors ask if people get confused about the name more than I have clients ask. It's true. And I think that's because donors are less exposed to the work, and so they don't uh, I mean, know I could make where a case, people are coming from. You know, if, <laughs> yeah. if, if you'd come to me when, during my marketing days, I could say, well, you need to rename it the House of Justice. Yeah. You know, that would be an amazing I would say name, back to Justice. you. I would say back to you if, you if we were having that conversation that – um, the name is a conversation starter, and it's a conversation I want to have with as many people as I can. Okay. And if the worst thing that comes from it is that 50 years from now, a family in South Los Angeles knows two words of Hebrew, I can live with that. It's really fascinating, though, really, because there's other organizations, for example, like Jewish World Watch. Yeah. Right? And those are like English words, and mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty clear. You're one of the rare ones that deals with the mainstream community with this like really Hebrew <laughs> Jewish name, Bet Tzedek. You know what? You'll laugh at this. Um, clients are never confused about who we are and who we serve. But every once in a while, I have a donor who gets us confused with Bet Shuva. Aha. <laughs> you know, you, that's another good one, by it's the way. It's a great organization. Bet Teshuva. Yeah. It's another great uh, example. But I, you know, w where I grew up in Morocco, it was, we didn't have this idea of Jews helping non-Jews. You know, I grew up in a ghetto, Jewish ghetto. <laughs> so I'm not saying good or bad. It's just what it was. And I've discovered in America this, you know, this phenomenon of the Jewish community, which really has puts a high premium on helping the community at large. Yeah. And for someone like you, I guess you probably take it for granted. I do. I mean, I grew up, um, you know, in a house that uh, had generations of people who'd been engaged in civil rights work. Where did you grow up? I grew up in California. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know... Your so parents were hippies fighting uh, <laughs> against the Vietnam War? Yeah, I think they'd like that description. Okay, good. Um, and so I did take it for granted. I think I do take it for granted. Um, and And yet it is also true that I do the work because of all the opportunities I have, and I've been so lucky in my life to have so many, this is the thing that is most interesting and most satisfying. And so it's a selfish choice. I'm just doing it because it's the thing I like the best. Yeah, I feel the same way about my job. Do you feel that every step of your career has brought you to this? I do. I mean, I've, I've been so lucky to have um, the chance to get a diverse experience. I had um, an exposure to poverty and anti-poverty work in New York before law school. And so I went to law school knowing I wanted to continue to do that kind of work. What and then kind of anti-poverty work did you do in New York? I was working in homeless family services in New York and met for the first time, you know, these young moms who were trying to figure out a way to feed their kids and themselves at the same time. And most days couldn't answer that question satisfactorily. And it meant mm -hmm. they went hungry while their kids ate. And, and what did you do to help? You know, I was working in the shelter system mm -hmm. and seeing how... Um, those families survived and fought for each other, um, I was hooked. 
and I've never left the work since then. It's interesting because you see the pain of others, but that doesn't bring you down. You know, I mean, I, pain brings me down sometimes. <laughs> you know, I used to go to Skid Row a lot. I was doing work with the homeless, yeah. and uh, I, I got to tell you, it brings me down because when I see the pain, when I see it face to face, sort of. Uh, it brings me down because I know that tonight I'm going to go sleep in a great bedroom and they're going to be sleeping on the street. And there's something about that awareness that just weighs heavy on me. Well, and you had that for a long time in New York, right? And here, too. I right. mean, we all see it every day in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And um, it is completely untenable and unacceptable that some of us have beds to go home to and some of us do not. Mm -hmm. um, I think I, I know that I one of my good fortunes is that I work in a place where I can do something about it. Uh, I not, think it's one of the most terrifying things, Jesse, in life, is this idea of just having no bed to go to, no shelter. For me, it's one of the most terrifying thoughts in, as a human being. I couldn't agree with you, you know? more. Uh, and you, you worked with some high-powered attorneys. You're probably in Century City, right? Uh, I, I was when I was in private practice. Right. Yeah. So I'm curious, do you, uh, did you ever get one of those super high-powered attorneys to take one of your cases? Absolutely. You do? Absolutely. Every day. Those are our volunteers. I love that. That's a great story. When You know, $1,000 an hour is for an average person, and you get the best of the best. Give me an example of that without uh, naming names. I can name names. Name names then. He's he's on the briefs. Um sure, this morning uh I was supposed to have breakfast with Bobby Schwartz, a longtime volunteer and lay leader for Betsetic. He's a very very successful and impressive litigator at Irel in Manila in Century City. And he was up last night burning the midnight oil, um, working on a pro bono matter for Betsetic. We are attacking the predatory lending program that the county is running, um, targeting low-income homeowners uh, with property-assessed uh, clean energy loans. And Bobby is helping us with that matter and doing an incredible job. And um, the opportunity cost is incredibly high to be working um, for a pro bono matter as opposed to an IRL client. But he um, is incredibly committed to the work we're trying to do. And he knows that he brings with him skill and resources that few other attorneys in Los Angeles um, can muster on behalf of clients like ours. And he is doing an incredible job, and I'm so proud that I get to work with him, and I know how lucky we are to have that kind of help. You know, when we first moved to Canada in the, in the 60s, we had no money. It was a classic immigrant story, right? And I'll never forget when they, were, they had these free clinics that the Jewish community would arrange for immigrants. So I did this free dental clinic, and I had a huge toothache, and it turns out there was a, a root canal. So my mother's schlepping me to these free dental clinics, and it turns out that they had this really sort of cocky, redhead dental student from McGill University. And he says, this is the luckiest day of your life because I am the top dental student. You, could, <laughs> you have no idea how lucky you are today. <laughs> you know, this may be a free clinic, but I'm the top dentist you'll ever meet. It's, it's an amazing story. And he, he was very funny. And I'll never forget that story. And it was like, I don't know, 40 years ago. 
And since that day, every time I go to a dentist, I show them <laughs> the work that he did. I tell them that story, and they all tell me the guy did an amazing job. That's so awesome. I always think of that for you. I mean, just imagine you have this incredible high-powered attorney in Century City helping a homeless person. That you Has that happened? Absolutely. Every day. That yeah. is what we do every day. Um, and, you know, I'll tell you, it can be humbling for those high-powered attorneys because they may be completely expert in complex corporate litigation, mm -hmm. but they might not know a whole lot about landlord-tenant law. Um, mm -hmm. And they want to be of service, and they want to help, and they want to make a difference, and they know that help is so needed. But That's an interesting point. They have to turn to us for expertise and training and supervision mm. when it comes to actually assisting one of our clients because— They're not used to having those kind new, of clients because those kind of clients can't afford their rates. Exactly. Yeah, so they still, uh, they still step up yeah. from the heart. I'll tell you on the dental work. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you haven't yet talked to the folks at the Karsh Center at Wilshire Boulevard Temple, I recommend it to you. Um, they have set up, among other things, a free dental clinic there. Yeah, and they're really doing stuff over there. I mean, th you know, great. they're our neighbor. You yeah. know, we're, we're here in our studios in Koreatown. So um, they are our neighbors. Access to affordable dental care is incredibly, incredibly rare. And um, I saw that firsthand working with. Uh, homeless families when I was in New York and when I moved here to Los Angeles and started working on Skid Row. Um, and uh, I don't mind uh, admitting it, when I walked into the dental clinic at Karsh Center for the first time, I started to cry. Oh, it's, I mean, it's amazing it's just, what they've started. I mean, that's the quintessential example. Well, you just are this thinking about these parents who would give anything to ease the pain their children are in. Mm -hmm. And here's this dental clinic that's going to do just that. What else do they have there? We're there providing free legal services. Okay. Um, one thing that's great about the model there is they have daycare and child care for Explain families. Explain for our listeners what, what, what we're talking about here. Sure. So Wilshire Boulevard Temple is a wonderful temple community here in Los Angeles. And um, they had the vision to build a community resource center on their campus for this neighborhood. Um, while there used to be, I think, more Jews in this neighborhood, today here in Koreatown, it is largely uh, an immigrant population from both East Asia and uh, Latin America. And there is incredible need in the community around us for all kinds of services, immigration services, bankruptcy services, dental services, uh, occupational therapy, job training. They run a food pantry. And the Karsh Center is providing all of that support for the community. And, and it's people wonderful. can just walk in? You can walk in off the street. Mm -hmm. Do people walk into your offices too? Well, they do, but we don't encourage it. Mm -hmm. We encourage folks to call first. I mean, you have a huge, you have a call center, what, 12, 14 people? We no. do. We How have many calls do you get? We get about 100 calls a day, mm -hmm. um, and we have 12 people in the call center ready to answer those phone calls. If you don't have someone pick up when you call, leave a message, we'll call you back. Mm. Maybe I can borrow some of your... Uh, well, there's all the people who call the Jewish Journal because <laughs> paper's late. They couldn't find it. So they didn't like the articles. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? So when's your next event? When's your next gala dinner? Our gala dinner is February 19th, mm -hmm. uh, 2019, but we're already getting ready. You are. Absolutely. Who are you going to honor? We're honoring Richard Jones, longtime Betsetic board member and Bank of America Foundation. Um, and without... 
that institution and that individual, we just would not be where we are today. I mean, you've got a big budget. It's like around $7 million, correct? Yeah, closer to 10 this coming year. Wow, yeah. wow, wow. And yeah. let's say somebody offered you another... And I should say, actually, that's $10 million sort of in cash, um, but the value of the donated services correct. is significant. Correct. And including that, it's more like 30 and if you, if somebody gave you an, a, just a huge donation and, and they would match the $10 million that you already have, what would you do with it? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Right now in Los Angeles County, there are 70,000 evictions every year, mm -hmm. and less than 1% of those tenants will be represented by a lawyer. And we know that having a lawyer is going to change your likelihood of success in that action. That must and be a make big the difference thing for between you, right, housing and homelessness. Yeah, evictions. That must Absolutely. be a big thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Dealing with landlords and stuff. That's the first thing I'd do. It's the first? You yeah. would like... I would have an army. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you find the victims? Well, you just go to the courthouse. So California law gives a tenant only five days to respond to their eviction, and weekends count and holidays count. Mm. So if you get served on a Thursday, you could be out on the Tuesday. Wow. So let's just give everybody information here <laughs> in case you hear of somebody who gets served on a Thursday, what is the best thing to do to just call? So you can call. I recommend going to the website, www.betzedek.org. B-E-T-T-Z-E-D-E-K, betzedek.org. All letters that rhyme, just to make my life easier. <laughs> okay. And um, that's the first thing you can do. And The, the number is 323 939-0506. And that's a great thing to do is yes. to call. Um, the the other uh, resource I recommend is anywhere in L.A. County, you can call 211. Um, and if Betsetic doesn't get back to you quick enough, uh, you can call 211 and they will start you in uh, a pipeline to access our coordinated entry system to prevent homelessness. And is, they will connect you with legal aid in the city. Is the, your um, number 24 hours? We are not uh, picking up live 24 hours, but mm -hmm. we'll return your call, so leave a message. And the last thing I would say is that at the courthouse, there are self-help resources. They have form answers. They'll show you how to file it. Mm -hmm. um, getting that answer on file is the most important thing to do. Do that first. You've only got those five days. Get, th get that answer on file, and then legal aid can help you actually present your case. I think it's kind of great that we live in a country where there's a phone number, 323-939-0506, and if you see any kind of injustice, there's a number that you can call. I don't know. I don't take this stuff for granted. I'm all schmaltzy well, when you know, it comes to this stuff. I was thinking about when you started talking about the word justice. Um, my dad told me a story when I was a kid that I think about all the time. He was in Cleveland. He was in a cab. They were passing a big government-looking building, you know, with the Greek columns and the um, the accoutrement of power. And he asked the cab driver, is that the courthouse? And the cab driver said, mm-hmm, the Just Us building. Oh. And I think about that all the time. And if nothing else, what I want the House of Justice to be is a place with doors open that everybody feels like is theirs. Just us versus justice. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's kind of uh, a man of words. I love that. So w what kind of uh, activities do you have planned in the next few months that be interesting to talk about? 
You know, one thing I'd love to get you guys involved in is our kinship care party. Um, So one of our programs, our guardianship program, uh, helps caregivers who are caring for children who are not their own. So these are kids whose parents have died or are incarcerated or incapacitated or unable to care for them for one reason or another. There are 80,000 of these kids in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many of them are in foster care, but many of them are, you know, with grandma or auntie, with a neighbor, with someone from church. Who knows? Um, Mm -hmm. And those those caregivers are doing an incredible job, but they don't have legal authority to make education decisions, to meet with the teacher or the counselor, to be in the emergency room if a child is hurt and authorize medical care uh, without a legal guardianship. Mm. Um, If they qualify for our legal aid, it means they're living below the poverty line and they don't actually have that much flexibility to feed another mouth. And so we know that if they can't afford a lawyer and they can't afford to put food on the table, the last thing they can afford are Christmas presents or holiday treats. And so we throw a party for them in December. Oh, I love that. Where's the party? It's in our office. Oh, nice. We decorate. Oh, we're coming. <laughs> we're we totally would love coming. to Shiny. have you there. Bring some gifts. <laughs> we would love to have you there, and you can sponsor a child and the... The gift lists are telling. The parents ask for toys for the kids mostly, but also for school supplies. What's it called again, the program? The Kinship Care Party. Is it before? Is it around? We do or usually early December. Okay. And for themselves, they ask for basic necessities, hygiene products, socks, that mm. kind of thing. Fantastic. We'll definitely be there. We'll cover it in the Jewish Journal. Keep an eye out for it. Thank you, David. Did you have a story growing up, Jesse, where... In grade school or high school, did you see these moments of injustices that moved you? Can you recall any of those? Well, that's a good question. I don't know that I had that from my childhood. I lived a pretty easy childhood. I, I had always a safe home and amazing parents. Mm. Um, but when you went to school, you must have seen some kind of little bit of injustice. But I think, you know... Depending on your view of things, I guess. My thought was always that because I had had such a comfortable, safe, warm environment in which to learn and grow, Mm -hmm. seeing anyone with less than that um, was outrageous. And you wanted to help. And, um, you know, sometimes in job interviews, this is a bad question to ask in a job interview, so I'm not encouraging this, but sometimes people say, like, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? And I've always thought the best power is the power to heal. There's no better feeling than relieving someone from suffering. Mm -hmm. It's just um, the hardest thing to do, but the best feeling once you've done it. And um, that's, I I think, true for a lot of folks. You can have a (laughs) superpower. What would it be? You've got me thinking. Maybe (laughs) we can flip the interview and you can start asking me questions. (laughs) But uh, on that note, uh, that's a great way to end the our conversation, if, if you had a superpower, what would it be? Um, send us your answers at com, <laughs> our brand new website. And um, I can't thank you enough, Jesse, for, for coming in and sharing this, this timeless message of seeking uh, justice for those who need it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. <laughs>